in the book of Jeremiah chapter 16. And so if you have a Bible, let's open up there to Jeremiah chapter 16. And believe it or not, I, I'm trying to finish early. And so pray for me right now. I'm just joking. Um, and we're actually going to do two chapters. And so um, one of the things about the book of Jeremiah is that it is uh, repetitive in the sense that he's just warning the people that, man, if you don't get your lives right, God's going to judge you and you guys are going to be carried away into bondage. And so for us, you know, I mean, that could happen. You just, I mean, just to like, you know, imagine, use your imagination, you know, the Chinese come over here, they conquer our nation and they take us uh, away or the Russians or whoever it might be. Uh, the Persians. And so I'm just, you know, more than likely that's not going to happen. But I will say this, um, bondage, that whole concept of being in bondage to something, that's heavy. You ever think about that? Um, Man, we, if we're not careful, if we're living just in the power of our own strength, if we're following the dictates of our evil heart, if we're walking according to the world, you might end up actually living your life. You don't even realize it, but when you look closer, you're living your life in bondage. Bondage to those Babylonians. Bondage to those demons. And so it's so cool that we as Christians can study the book of Jeremiah and just say, no, that's not going to be me. I'm going to be like Jeremiah. Jeremiah stood strong in the midst of adversity. Um, No one got saved, but man, he just kept preaching, kept doing the right thing. And in the end, when the judgment did come and all these people were taken away and slaughtered and all the craziness that happened, he stood strong. And so that's my prayer for you, that you would be like Jeremiah as well. And so we pick it up here in Jeremiah chapter 16. Notice what we read in verse 1. It says, the Lord gave me another message. And I'm reading in the New Living Translation because I really want to make sure the young people understand. And so the Lord gave me another message. He said, do not get married or have children in this place. For this is what the Lord says about the children born here in this city and about their mothers and fathers. They will die from terrible diseases. No one will mourn for them or bury them, and they will be scattered on the ground like manure. They will die from war and famine, and their bodies will be food for the vultures and wild animals. And so in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6, we saw that he was called as a young man, and his ministry lasted about 40 years. When you look at the kings that are mentioned in chapter 1, and so it, to me, when I read this, I'm like, wow, Lord, that's tough. You tell this young man that he can't get married. He can't get married. You're, you're, you're not to be married um, because the reason is that the kids are gonna be, that are going to be born in this generation, the people that are going to be born in this generation are going to be slaughtered. They're going to be slaughtered so bad that um, basically... You know, their bodies, the only worse thing than dying in the Jewish mentality was not being buried after you died. And so imagine bodies all over the place and the, um, the vultures coming and eating those bodies, the, 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 the beasts coming and eating those bodies. And so, you know, in those days, everybody got married and it was almost a sin not to. I mean, they had arranged marriages. You would work it out uh, somehow, some way. But, um, you know, Jeremiah wasn't going to get married. And so people are like, hey, why isn't he married? Why isn't he married? They're looking at him, and it was a message. His life was a message. And the message was disasters coming to you and your wives and your children. And so God prohibited him from, number one, having a family. And then number two, even from going to funerals. Because look what you read next. It says, this is, is what the Lord says. Do not go to funerals to mourn and show sympathy for these people. For I have removed my protection and peace from them. I have taken away my unfailing love and my mercy. Both the great and the lowly will die in this land. No one will bury them or mourn for them. Their friends will not cut themselves in sorrow or shave their heads in sadness. No one will offer a meal to comfort those who mourn at the dead, not even at the death of a mother or father. No one will send a cup of water to console them. And so it's a heavy warning. It's a heavy warning. Uh, Jeremiah would be a message. His life was a message. 
You can't have a family and you can't go to funerals. Now, you guys know how it is when there's a funeral, you're expected to be there, right? I mean, we, we're, we're there. A family member dies, we're there. But they're like, hey, Manny didn't show up to the funeral. He didn't show up to that one either. He didn't show up to that one either. And they're like, well, what's up with that? And, and, and the reason is, is God says it's a message to them that um, I'm, in, in one sense, I'm not going to cry when, when they die. Now, it's an interesting parallel over in the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 24, um, when Ezekiel's wife died, and this is the same period, God told him, you're not allowed to mourn. Because the sins, and we're going to see it as we get farther, the sins were so severe, so severe, that the, the death that came upon these people was absolute pure justice. And so, but their lives were, were going to be a witness, you know. Um, God right here says something interesting, for I have removed my protection and peace from them. Now, in one sense, you know, the Babylonians were brought and, and you know, it's just crazy to see the way that they conquered so many nations. And in one sense, God did call them. But in another sense, all God did was remove his protection from them. That's all he did. If you guys, you know, the, I always think about this. I think about this a lot. Like if the Lord removed his protection from me, I would be devoured. I mean, the, the demons, you know, they want us dead. You know, the world that's under the influence of the demons want us dead. I mean, they would kill us in a split second. If you read the life of Paul the Apostle, they tried to kill him so many times. And so basically, really, what, what keeps us alive is God protecting us. And so right here, God says, you, you can't go to a funeral because I'm going to remove my protection from this nation. And, and this justice is going to be served. And so he tells him, you can't have a family, you can't go to funerals. And then the third thing is you can't go to feasts. Now, something that's interesting right here, he says, um, before we get there, no one will offer a meal. Their friends will not cut themselves in sorrow or shave their heads in sadness. Now, in those days, um, the pagan nations, as the Jews started doing what the pagan nations would do, uh, when there was a funeral, they would shave their heads, they would cut their arms, they would even cut their faces. Now, the Jews were told not to do that, but unfortunately, they started doing that. And the reason they would cut themselves, believe it or not, is crazy, is they cut themselves because they believed that that would help the, the one who died. And they cut themselves because they actually believed that that would then resist the evil spirits that caused the death. And so this is what the people were doing in God's land. They were just completely, completely consumed with the idolatry of the nations that were all around them. And other than the church, it's just like what we see today. You know, we see that today, and we'll talk about that as we go through. Again, no family, no funeral, and no feast. Look what he says. And, and do not go to their feasts and parties. Do not eat and drink with them at all. For this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says in your own lifetime. And so now he's setting a date. It's going to happen in Jeremiah's lifetime. In your own lifetime, before your eyes, I will put an end to the happy singing and laughter in this land. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard. And so, again, these are normal things that you do in life, you know? No family? Wow. No, no funerals? No feasts. Now, how many of you guys like to eat? I'm just curious. They're like, hey, they're serving some good food over there. Man, I would love to go. I heard they're having the post pizza or something like that, you know? And uh, God said, you can't go. You can't go. You can't, you can't go because they, your, your life, your whole life is a message. Why isn't Jeremiah here? Why isn't he here at our feast? Why isn't he here? It's because God has spoken through him and told us that these types of things are going to end unless we get right with God. And in, in the life of Jeremiah for 40 years, he was trying to warn them, you guys. You know, and maybe there's some that are listening, you know, and I don't know where you guys are 
you know, again, I try to give you guys the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, man, they're here in a midweek service, you know, through the rain and tornadoes, like Ken was saying, and they're still here. And so I'm thinking that you guys are more along the lines of Jeremiah's, right? Or, um, you know, you know, whatever. But, but there might be someone here that you are playing games with God. And he hasn't killed you yet. But, but you're thinking, well, I'm cool because he hasn't killed me yet, but, but the day's coming. You're going to stand before God and give an account, and you've been living in your sin. Why don't you have the fear of God? The book of Jeremiah, it gives me the fear of God, that if I have any secret sin inside of me, that one day it will be exposed. And so this is heavy, guys. This is heavy. Like I said, I know a lot of you here are Jeremiah's, but... We love you, and if you're watching online and you're playing games with God, you know, my, my prayer is that this would bring us to that place where we just surrender everything to God. There's no sin that we should be involved in, insistent, consistent, persistent sin. No, if you're a Christian, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that. And so if you're having a struggle with, with sin, you need to be accountable and tell somebody because they'll pray for you, but man, you're the one. You have, we have to make those decisions. God tells Jeremiah, you know, no family, no funerals, no feasts. And then they're like asking why. Look what it says uh, in verse 10. When you tell the people all these things, they will ask why. Why has the Lord decreed such a terrible thing against us? Why have we done, what have we done to deserve such treatment? What is our sin against the Lord our God? And then you will give them the Lord's reply. It is because your ancestors were unfaithful to me. They worshipped other gods and served them. They abandoned me and did not obey my word. Now, now they're tell- he's telling them, hey, what your ancestors have done. And so um, maybe now they're thinking, well, that's what my ancestors have done. What about me? And it's interesting, when you, when you put this together with Ezekiel, now remember, in 605 BC, the Babylonians came and they took Daniel away. In 597 BC, the Babylonians came again and they took Ezekiel away. And Ezekiel was actually there in Babylon. And then we're going to see eventually in 586 BC, the Babylonians come for the third time. And that's when they just level the land. But so Ezekiel was there. And in Ezekiel chapter 18, the people are saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. God's judging us for the sins of our parents. And Ezekiel deals with that in chapter 18. And right here, Jeremiah does tell them, yeah, your parents messed up. Your parents messed up. But look what he says right here next. He says, "Verse, then you will give them the Lord's reply. It is because your ancestors were unfaithful to me. They worship other gods and serve them. They abandoned me and did not obey my word. And you are even worse than your ancestors. You stubbornly follow your own evil desires and refuse to listen to me. So I will throw you out of the land and send you into a foreign land where you and your ancestors have never been. There you can worship idols day and night, and I will grant you no favors. You know, in the New King James, I like the way it says that the people followed the the dictates of their evil heart, the the stubborn evil heart. You guys are worse. You know, I don't know. You guys know, right? I mean, maybe we're going to get caught up in the moment, but when you look at the history of the United States of America and how messed up we got so quickly, so quickly, I always tell you guys, like, I believe that we were a Judeo-Christian nation, and I believe that second to Israel, God blessed our nation in such a mighty way. And yet, you know, we have turned our backs on God. And it wasn't that long ago, you know, where family meant something. And God gave us our families and our dads and our moms and our kids. And you guys know that, you know, the family is the fabric of society. But we have turned our backs on God. And it's crazy, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was under the Reagan administration where they um, uh, eventually allowed people to get a divorce. You don't even have to say a f- no-fault clause or whatever, no-fault divorce. Just, you know, get, you know, people get in a divorce. You know, holy matrimony was thrown out the door. It was put down the garbage disposal. It was no longer sacred. And you guys know family is the fabric of society. And so now, you know, you got people getting divorces. What does that do to our kids 
And then, you know, you have um, individuals, um, unfortunately, not understanding the importance of family. And then, you know, you've got people living together, not even getting married, no commitment there. And then eventually the time comes where marriage is not between a, a man and a woman. Then it becomes, well, a, a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And that wasn't that long ago. And then what ended up happening is now, you know, well, a man isn't a man and a woman isn't a woman. And now, you know, a boy is not a boy and a girl is not a girl. And now the boy can become a girl and the girl can become a boy. And now the parents can't do anything about it. Now, has it gotten worse? Yes. I mean, you guys know just as well as I do that the judgment of God, it, Billy Graham said, if God doesn't judge the United States of America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so for us, we're Jeremiah's. You know, I, I pray that we would be strong. We would be sharing the, the, the word um, because things are getting worse. And this is what he, well, why, why is this happening to us? Lord, Why? And the, and the crazy thing about it was when Jeremiah was sharing, it wasn't happening. And so the people were kind of saying, well, when, we'll even see that as we go through our study here. And God says, I'm going to throw you. And the word throw is a really strong one. It's like one of those quarterbacks that have a really good arm. I mean, throwing them really far. It's a really, really violent word that they would be thrown uh, into the land of Babylon. But here's the crazy thing. You always see this in the prophets. There's the, the, the judgment but then God says, but I, I, there's always hope. Look what he says next. But the time is coming, says the Lord, when people who are taking an oath will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who rescued the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. Instead, they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Israel back to their own land from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he had exiled them, for I will bring them back to this land that I gave their ancestors. Isn't that crazy? God's saying, I'm going to flatten this land, but I won't destroy them. I won't annihilate them. They will be back. And after 70 years in Babylon, they were allowed to come back. And then when you read history, I have a paper over there. And you guys, hopefully, if you looked into it, the way that Israel uh, has come back to the land in 1948, I think there was a total population of maybe somewhere around 806,000 uh, people in Israel. Now there's 9.4 million, and there's uh, over 6 million Jews in Israel. And just the way that they came back from all over the world. Uh, I was listening to one guy, and he was saying that when you go to Israel, it's crazy how you can see this Jewish uh, gal talking French and this Jewish gal or guy talking Russian and because they're from all over the world. This one knows English because they have been brought back into the land, 1948. Uh, and, and so he says the day's going to come where they're not going to say, hey, as the Lord lives, who brought us out of Egypt, because that was their big bragging thing back then. No, as the Lord lives, who brought us back into the land from all over the world. And we're going to see ultimately it find its fulfillment in the millennial kingdom. And so the interesting thing, you guys, here's the thing. I, I, one of the things I want to share with you guys, and I have to do it too, because you guys know that I'm a, a sinner with a capital S. Do you guys know that? I'm a wretched, wicked man. I am. And I want to be a better husband. And I want to be a better dad. And I want to be a better son and friend and pastor and everything. I, I have so much growing to do. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of things I was thinking about. Uh, I think we have this verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.31. It says, uh, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And so that's what's going on here. Jeremiah is trying to tell them. He's trying to warn them. What's the Holy Spirit been saying to you? Has the Holy Spirit been saying, hey, you need to grow in this area. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to stop. You need to start. Whatever it is. You know, and so we have to judge ourselves. Because if not, God is going to judge us. Kind of like the same thing that Israel right here, they're being disciplined. They're not going to be destroyed. But, but you know, um, 
here's the thing that I, I think. If I would discipline myself, then I wouldn't have to be disciplined by God. But some people, they just refuse to be disciplined. God says, pray. You don't pray. God says, read your word. Oh, you don't read your word. God says, take communion. You don't really take communion. God says, fellowship. I'm talking about real fellowship, and we don't. Acts 2.42, we don't do those things. Those are our spiritual disciplines. And God, and God tells me, Manny, you make sure you do that with all your heart. That time when you're spending with me in the morning, when you're reading your Bible, don't mess around. Don't mess around. Listen to what I'm trying to teach you, what I'm trying to tell you, the personal word when you're praying, things like that. If we would discipline ourselves, then we wouldn't have to be disciplined by God. If we would judge ourselves, and there's a lot to that, that judgment. Look at yourself in the, in the mirror. Stop looking at everybody else. You're judging them. Oh, they do this and they do that. That's cool. You're right. They are in sin. Yes. But what about you? What about me when I look in the mirror? Because I want, you know, I got to judge myself. If not, then God will will judge me. And so here they, they suffered unnecessary discipline. And it's just crazy what they did to themselves, what they did to their families because they wouldn't obey God. If you have kids here, if you have kids here, I I beg you, I beg you, serve God with a pure heart. Serve God without being hypocritical. You know, we, 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 we fail. None of us are perfect. But man, we have to try our best to be consistent, be faithful, be loving, be proper. Because otherwise, look what we do to our children. See? And so right here, it's just crazy looking at these things. You know, God says, I'm going to judge. But, you know, for now, it's just you're a discipline. You're going to come back. But then he gets back to the judgment. He says, but now I am sending for many fishermen who will catch them, says the Lord. I'm sending for hunters who will hunt them down in the mountain hills and caves. I am watching them closely, and I see every sin. They cannot hope to hide from me. I will double their punishment for all their sins, because they have defiled my land with lifeless images of their detestable gods, and have filled my territory with their evil deeds." You know, God says, you know, the day's going to come when you're going to come back. But, right, but right, what's going on right now is that I'm going to send guys to fish for you. I'm going to send hunters to hunt for you. You're going to try to get away. You're going to go to your cave. And you think you can hide from God. You can't hide from God. And we can't hide our single sin from God. Here's what he's saying. And so now Jeremiah says, you got to know what's going on. And then Jeremiah just prays. He says, Lord, you are my strength and fortress, my refuge in the day of trouble. This is so cool. I, I just want to pause there for a second because, you know, you, you read this and you don't really see what this guy is going through, what Jeremiah is going through. I mean, you guys are cool. I, I think you guys are my friends. I think you guys like me more or less. But... um. Maybe not. Maybe you're like, man, I hate that guy. That might, I don't know, you know. But um, Jeremiah was out there, and um, he would be preaching. Like we're later on, we're gonna see. Like here's the gate of of uh, the gates of uh, the the temple, and he'd be preaching right there. Like you see these guys with the signs. Okay, now those guys with the signs, they're off. They're off. But what if one of you who are on, you know, you're you're right on. And you went up and God says, okay, I want you to go up to that gate and you know, whatever, the Rose Bowl, all the different entrances or whatever, and, you know, and I want you to preach. Uh, you want you to tell them that, that they're going to be judged. Do you think that you would be liked? No, you would be hated. People, some people do hate us. Uh, some people have come, they've left, never come back because they don't like you know, messages like this. Um, but all I'm saying is that for Jeremiah being a true prophet of God, true, 
he was definitely opposed by the devil himself. And so it was not easy. And so life is sometimes it's like that. But again, he says, Lord, he prays, you are my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of trouble. And some days are worse than others. And so I pray that we would know this. And this is kind of cool just to hang on to. He is not the one who just strengthens me. He is my strength. He is my fortress. He is my refuge. And so this is Jeremiah, beautiful man. But notice what he says right here. He says, nations from around the world will come to you and say, our ancestors left us a a foolish heritage. Now he's talking about the Gentiles here, how the Gentiles would get saved and, you know, basically how they were taught, you know, foolish things. For they worshipped worthless idols. Can people make their own gods? These are not real gods at all. You know, the idols that people worship? I mean, you know, of course not. But when you reason, when you really see it, you realize it's a lie. And so the Lord says, now I will show them my power. Speaking of the Gentiles, now I will show them my might. At last they will know and understand that that I am the Lord. Or like it says in the New King James, my name is the Lord. And it's just so sad because the the Jews didn't embrace the Lord the way they should have. I mean, he had called them, saved them, blessed them in so many ways, redeemed them out of Egypt. But in the end, they would be the ones to reject Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Gentiles, though, that's a lot of us here. How many of you guys are Gentiles? I'm just curious. You're a non-Jew. The rest, man, we've got a lot of Jews here. You guys are, are... Thank you, Lord. The Bible predicted the fact that the Gentiles would, generally speaking, be receptive to the gospel and the Jews wouldn't. And so notice what it says right here in verse 1 of chapter 17. that The sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron chisel, engraved with a diamond point on, the st- on, their, on their stony hearts. Now, now the heart... Um, we're going to see is mentioned again four more times. It's already been mentioned one time and that they had followed the dictates of their evil heart. And, uh, and you know, my, my daughter always asked me for a title for the study. And I think the title of the study was sh- today was Should We Follow our, our Hearts? Should We Follow Our Hearts? And you guys know, right? No, no. Let me just say that quick. No. Um, it's crazy when you go online and I just typed in that, I Googled in that question, should we follow our hearts and how everybody thinks we should. No, we don't know who we are. Right here, it's interesting how he says, the sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron chisel engraved with a diamond point on their stony hearts. Their sin is so deeply embedded. The heart is like concrete. The heart is so hard. The sin is so deep. I mean, it's just crazy. And, and on the corners of their altars. Now, it's interesting. In those days, they would have um, horns on the corners of their altars. And most of the pagan altars had their God, the name of their God on those horns. And so that's where the people of Judah were. They had this sin deep inside their heart, engraved like stone. I mean, we're talking deep. And they even had there on the corner of their altars the, 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 the gods of the pagan uh, people, e- even their children. See, this is what I'm talking about, you guys. This is why it's so important that we are faithful in our fellowship and going to church because if you don't go to church, your kids won't go to church. You know, I tried so hard. I tried so hard to teach my kids table manners, but they ended up like me. I don't know what happened. Because <laughs> they will do... What we do, not what we say, right? It's caught, not taught, right? And, and so right here, their, their children go to worship at their pagan altars and, and their Asherah poles beneath every green tree and on every high hill. Now, that the Asherah poles, you guys are going to see this a lot in the Old Testament. I think we have a visual here of the Asherah pole. Now, uh, that right there is, they're primarily wooden images. You guys will see that in the Bible. And uh, I think, I don't know how many times, like, oh, 70 plus times you'll read about the wooden image. Now, this Asherah usually was more sensual. That's a picture of, of Gideon, 
who was, um, he actually cut down the Asherah uh, idol, but he did it at night because that was just so huge in Israel. The Asherah, uh, also known as Ashtoreth, the Canaanite goddess of fertility. And so in biblical times, the consort of Baal. Now, consort is a companion. You even look up online, you'll, you'll find videos of, does God have a wife? This is kind of what they're talking about. Her worship involves sexual excesses intended to stimulate rain and reproduction, often made of wood and associated with sacred trees. And so the scriptures mentioned the wooden image over 70 times. And so, you know, this is what they had, you know. And, you know, why did they worship that God while it was prevalent in the, the world? But also because of the fact that it was just, you know, our, our flesh, the sin nature, the sexual temptation that they bowed down to. And we're living in that, in that world today, you guys. They're still worshiping that God. They, they may not have the pole right there, but they're still, we're still, this nation is still doing that. And this is why we know. We know. We're, we don't have to be, you know, brilliant, you know, or anything like that. We know God is, is going to judge our land. And so he says right here, I will turn over my holy mountain along with all your wealth and treasures and your pagan shrines as plunder to your enemies for sin runs rampant in your land. The wonderful possession I have reserved for you will slip from your hands. And doesn't that just break your heart, you guys, that the promised land, this is the life that God wanted to bless you with. That land of victorious Christian living, the land flowing with milk and honey. Do you have any idea how much God wants to bless your life? But you don't follow him the way that you should? See, this just breaks my heart because, man, that was for them. It was intended to, to be for them. But they, unfortunately, tragically, they, they sinned. And so the wonderful possession God says, I have reserved for you will slip from your hands. I will tell your enemies to take you as captives to a foreign land for my anger blazes like a fire that will burn forever. And so let me ask you guys a question. Is, is, God, is God a loving God? Yes. Is God a, a holy God? Okay, does God get angry? Okay, good. You guys know that. Psalm 711 says God is angry with the wicked every day. I always remember that because it's 711. And, and so, yeah, he does. But look what, look what, 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 what Jeremiah says. It's, it's a poem, actually, in the Hebrew. It's, this is what the Lord said. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. There's that word heart again. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. And so more than likely what Jeremiah is referring to here is when the Jews, you know, the Babylonians were threatening to come and the Jews turned to Egypt and they asked the Egyptians to help them, you know, defeat the Babylonians rather than turning to God. Now, Egypt is a typology of the world. And so, you know, I understand that, that you know, life, the way life is and we got our friends and, and we need that, you know, no, no doubt about it. But in our hearts, in our hearts, we have to trust the Lord, you know, and I and I I don't know. I can think of a lot of different examples, but basically, they're, they're, you know, you name it. Financially, you got to trust the Lord. Give to God what belongs to God. If you don't give to God what belongs to God, then you're not trusting God. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about. You don't pray, but you're working, 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 but you don't pray. Then you're not trusting God, because God is the one who does all the miracles. Right? And sometimes he'll lead you to fast. All I know is that he says, cursed is the man that trusts in man. The Bible says the help of man is useless. Sometimes people look to man 
We can't. We shouldn't. Because God doesn't want any rival thrones. I thank God for my spiritual mentors. You know, praise God for them. But they don't want me to trust in them. God doesn't want me to trust in them. I always trip out on that one passage. I don't know if it's First Kings 13 or what. One of those right around there where this young prophet goes and he shares the word of God and you know it all comes to pass. And then on his way home, he meets an older prophet and the older prophet says, hey, come on in, you know, let's have some lunch. And the younger prophet says, no, I'm not supposed to do that. God told me to go and take care of business and don't stop or talk or do anything just to go straight home. And the older prophet said, no, God spoke to me and God said, it's okay. And so the younger prophet goes in and he ends up you know, getting killed by a lion on the way home. Why? Because he had his confidence in men and not God. Now, right here, we're going to see it even later when we close the chapter regarding the Sabbath day. You guys, we got to trust the Lord. Right here, it says, cursed is the one who trusts in man. Cursed is that one. But blessed, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach deep down into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. We're going to have the heat, you know, the the tough times. We're going to have drought. You know, we're, we're going to have trials in life. But if you're trusting in the Lord, if you're really trusting in God, then, you know, you're going to be okay. And as a matter of fact, it's just so beautiful to read that no matter what happens, you're always going to be bearing fruit, spiritual fruit. A lot of times I see, I talk to Christians and they, um, they just, uh, they're whiners, they're complainers, they're, they're, they're just wimpy. I don't know what to, how to say it, but it's like, man, are you a Christian or not? Do you trust God or not? You know, if the Lord is God, serve him. I mean, we have to trust God with our life. You know, God says certain things in our word. We got to obey it. That shows that I trust him. You know, but right here, we have this vulnerability because notice what he says he says next, verse 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Now, I think it's really cool, you guys. I really hope you appreciate the fact that you have a Bible to tell you who we really are. Thank God for the authority of his word because otherwise we wouldn't know that. The world tells us that you're born a blank slate. The world will even tell you that you're born kind of good. No, the Bible says absolutely not. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. That's the condition of our heart. And if you're honest, um, you know, I, I don't know, you know, how it works for you, but I know that I always have to check my heart for pride. I always have to check my heart for envy. I have to always check my heart, you know, for fear. I mean, there's just so many ugly things that I know live in the fallen part of my heart. And so right here, we're not really sure if when he's saying, well, don't trust in man because look at man, like their heart is really bad, or just don't trust in man because that's the inclination of our own evil heart. All I know is right here, he's just saying, you got to know anthropology. You have to know what, what, what we're really like. You read those, you see those 2020 and he killed him and all these crazy things that can happen. It can happen to anybody because we're all like this. This is uh, the deceitful wickedness of our heart. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And so not only is he desperately wicked, but the heart deceives itself so that it can't even see it. Who can know it, he says? Who can know it? The heart doesn't even know. I don't even know it. God knows it. And, and right here, it's interesting. He says, but, but, the, but the Lord, he searches our hearts. He examines our motives. Like, why do we do what we really do? And then I try so hard to say, Lord, I want to be a pastor because I care about these people. I want them to be blessed. I want their families to thrive. 
I want their lives, Lord, to be everything that you want their lives to be. And I try so hard to purify my motives. But only God knows. Right here, it's interesting how he's talking about the heart. The Lord searches the heart. You know, Hebrews 4.13 says, There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And Revelation 2.23, Jesus says, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, the interesting thing right here is, is I, the Lord, search all hearts, examine secret motives. I give all peoples their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Now, to me, when I read that, I mean, a couple of things, you guys. Number one, our hearts will determine our actions. Luke 6.45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So our heart will determine our actions. But, but, but right here, it seems to say that basically I see your heart and that it's not right. And, and in one sense, it's in your heart and it's as if you did it. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 28, you know, this person over here, uh, they, they hate that person. And God says, I see their hate. I see their heart. I see their murder. They did it. Later on, he goes, I see that the, the, the lust. You know, you look at a woman and you lust for her. Jesus said, I see the heart that you've committed adultery. And so in those things, both of these right here, he says, according to what their actions deserve, it's interesting because it's things that they actually did, but things that I think sometimes we we guard in our hearts and we're harnessing. And God says, no, I want, I want more than that. I want all of you. I want you to be pure. Give me your heart. Proverbs says, my son, give me your heart. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so I pray, you guys, we know we can give all this to God. We should. And so it says right here, like a partridge that hatches eggs, she has not laid. So are those who get their wealth by unjust means. At midlife, they will lose their riches. In the end, they will become poor old fools. And so imagine a partridge. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of funny, the illustration. A partridge you know, finds these eggs that don't belong to her. And so she goes and she broods over them. And then the birds are hatched and the birds are like, hey, what's up? You ain't my mom, you know? And so, you know, it's kind of like they lose, the, the, the partridge loses those birds. Um, this is what he's saying about the wealth. If the wealth is not given to you, earned honestly, you're, you're going to lose it. It says, but we worship at your throne, eternal, high and glorious, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who turn away from you will be disgraced. They will be hurried in the dust of the earth. I'm sorry, buried in the dust of the earth. And so it's interesting because the New King James says written in the the dust of the earth. So this is one of those instances where the New King James is, is, is better than the New Living Translation, okay? Sometimes you read the New Living Translation and you're like, okay, that's easier to understand, but then there's the give and the take. Um, this one right here, the Hebrew word is clearly written. And so their names are written in the dust. Now, Betty's here today. Craig's not here. Now, Craig, you know what he does? I think he does it almost every week. He said for Awanas, he goes over there in the parking lot and he, he draws the circles and the things that are necessary for them to play their games. Now, he's trying to break the law, so you've got to pray for him because he's trying to paint on the asphalt back there so that the chalk won't wash away. And, uh, I, you know, Rich is trying, you know, to keep him in line and stuff. But I don't know, you know, if it's going to work or not, but I'm just joking. But the same concept right here. You write it in the dust, and it's going to disappear. It's interesting. You know, their names are written in the dust and it's just going to it's going to go away. It's going to die. It's going to be doomed. And, 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 the, and the contrast would be when our names are written in the book of life. 
in the book of life is mentioned seven times in the book of Revelation. Uh, when you read it throughout the scriptures, a couple of interesting places, Exodus 32, uh, 33, it talks about that book. That's where you want your name written. Is your name there? Have you truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or are you just plain church? A lot of people, they come to church. It doesn't mean they're saved. You know, you have to make sure that you have come to that place of salvation. Right here, it says, oh, oh Lord, if you heal me, I will truly be healed. Oh, I should finish that verse. They will be buried in the dust of the earth, for they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. How, how horrible is that? Jeremiah 2.13 mentions that as well. Oh, Lord, if you heal me, I will be truly healed. If you save me, I will be truly saved. My praises are for you alone. People scoff at me and say, what is this message from the Lord you talk about? Why don't your predictions come true? See, that's where Jeremiah was. Because he was preaching for 40 years. And eventually, though, they would. Lord, I have not abandoned my job as a shepherd for your people. I have not urged you to send disaster. You have heard everything I've said. Lord, don't terrorize me. You alone are my hope in the day of disaster. Bring shame and dismay on all who persecute me, but don't let me experience shame and dismay. Bring a a day of terror on them. Yes, bring double destruction upon them. And a lot of people believe that when Jeremiah was writing this, he was writing it during the reign of Jehoiakim. And so he, man, Jeremiah, he was was, uh, physically... Uh, beaten, he was put in a pit. I mean, we're talking left for dead. He went through a lot of different things. And so, you know, going through all that, uh, they say that a lot of pastors quit all over the country. I I forgot what the numbers are, but a lot of pastors quit. And so um, Jeremiah wasn't like that. He kept going, even though it was difficult. And so we close with this, because what Jeremiah does kind of now is he gets specific. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and stand in the gate, uh, gates of Jerusalem, first in the gate where the king goes in and out, and then in each of the other gates. Now, some say this might be uh, the east gate. Uh, if you read Ezekiel 11, it talks about how the leaders would get together there. But say to all the people, listen to this message from the Lord, you kings of Judah and all you people of Judah, and everyone living in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Say, listen to the message. Listen to my warning. Manny, listen to my warning. I want your whole life. All your whole life, your heart, everything. That that's the warning. And, but then he gets specific. Stop carrying on your trade at Jerusalem gates on the Sabbath day. Do not do your work on the Sabbath, but make it a holy day. I gave this command to your ancestors, but they did not listen or obey. They stubbornly refused to pay attention or accept my discipline. But if you obey me, this is so crazy. Maybe you're here and you've sinned a million times. And one more time on your history, man, but God says, listen, if you obey me, says the Lord, and do not carry on your trade at the gates or work on the Sabbath day, and if you keep it holy, then kings and their officials will go in and out of these gates forever. There will always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne here in Jerusalem. Kings and their officials will always ride in and out among the people of Judah in chariots and on horses, and this city will remain forever. And from all around Jerusalem, from the towns of Judah and Benjamin, from the western foothills and the hill country and the Negev, which is the southern desert area there in Israel, the people will come with their burnt offerings and sacrifices They will bring their grain offerings, frankincense, and thanksgiving offerings to the Lord's temple. I mean, just how how awesome life will be. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's just beautiful, it's joyful, it's wonderful, it's love, it's peace, it's all that God intended when we have that heart 
of, of obedience. And he's telling them, man, you guys as a city, as a nation, you'll be so blessed if you just keep the Sabbath. Because in one sense, keeping the Sabbath meant um, it was an external observation of the fact that they were keeping the covenant. But if you do not listen to me and, my, and refuse to keep the Sabbath holy, and if on the Sabbath day you bring loads of merchandise through the gates of Jerusalem, just as on the other days, then I will set fire to these gates. The fire will spread to the palaces and no one will be able to put out the roaring flames. And it's just so crazy when you look at the contrast and clear warning here. And and so reading that, you guys, um, just in case, because I know, you know, not everybody has been reading the Bible for a long time. And for some of you, you're like, oh, okay. So that means we're supposed to keep the Sabbath day, right? No, uh, out of the Ten Commandments, the only one that's not repeated in the New Testament is the Sabbath, right? And so we don't have to necessarily have, you know, no work from, you know, uh, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. But there is an aspect in which, in one sense, we do, because the Bible says he observes this day, he observes this day. And so two things we'll close with, two things. Um, and there's a lot more we could say, but we're almost out of time. So two things. Unless you guys want to go over? No, I'm just joking. Um, number one, I pray you'd go to church. I pray that you keep the Sabbath in that sense. I'll tell you what, I know some people got to work on Sundays, but some don't have to. They still work anyways. My encourage, there's nothing like Sundays when all the church is there. And so um, I pray you would not forsake the assembling. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Because when we're there, we're seeking the Lord together as a church. But then number two, the whole thing about seeking the Sabbath is it meant that you yet you trusted the Lord. Like we're not going to do business and they're not going to carry their wares through here. And Jesus even had to drive them out one time because they were doing this in the temple. And, and God is just saying, um, I want you to make sure that you trust me. Uh, they, they didn't trust the Lord. They didn't let the land rest. Um, why did they work the seventh day? Because they needed money. They needed money, 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 money. And God says, no, you don't, don't. You trust me. Take that day off. And so there's that aspect to it in, in that sense, but primarily in this sense, you guys, and we'll close in this. Having said everything that I said today, and it's crazy because... You know, I know I'm saying to myself, and I'm kind of like cracking the whip on myself, but I will say this, I know, I know I'm saved. I know that because Jesus Christ died for me on a cross. He bore all my, my punishment, my sins, he rose again. And because of that, you know, my faith in him, he finished the work. I have this rest. I have this rest. And, and if you're here and you don't have that rest, that assurance, isn't it crazy how it works? Like I have this peace, I have this rest, I have this assurance, but I also have this heart that just says, I want to obey you. That's how and how it has to happen. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. So my prayer is that we would have that desire to go to Jesus like that. That's Sabbath.